So our reading this morning is taken from Judges chapter 17, uh, beginning at verse 1 and reading through to chapter 18 and verse 21. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, The 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, The Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol. I will give it back to you. So he returned the silver to his mother and she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who made them into the image and the idol and they were put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some idols and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days Israel had no king, everyone did as he saw fit. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living with the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and priest and I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him and the young man was to him like one of his sons. Then Micah installed the Levite and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. In those days Israel had no king, and in those days the tribe of the Danites was seeking a place of their own where they might settle, because they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent five warriors from Zorah and Eshtel to spy out the land and explore it. These men represented all their clans, and they told them, Go, explore the land. The men entered the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah, where they spent the night. When they were near Micah's house, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. So they turned in there and asked him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? Why are you here? He told them what Micah had done for him and said, He's hired me and I'm his priest. Then they said to him, Please inquire of God to learn whether our journey will be successful. The priest answered them, Go in peace. Your journey has the Lord's approval. So the five men left and came to Laish, where they saw the people were living in safety, like the Sidonians, unsuspecting and secure. And since their land lacked nothing, they were prosperous. Also, they lived a long way from the Sidonians and had no relationship with anyone else. When they returned to Zorah and Eshtel, their brothers asked them, How did you find things? They answered, come on, let's attack them. We have seen that the land is very good. Aren't you going to do something? Don't hesitate to go there and take it over. When you get there, you will find an unsuspecting people and a spacious land that God has put into your hands, a land that lacks nothing whatever. Then 600 men from the clan of the Danites, armed for battle, set out from Zorah and Eshtel. On their way, they set up camp near Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. 
That is why the place west of Kiriath-Jerim is called Manahadan to this day. From there they went on to the hill country of Ephraim and came to Micah's house. Then the five men who spied out the land of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that one of these houses has an ephod, other household gods, a carved image and a cast idol? Now you know what to do. So they turned in there and went to the house of the young Levite at Micah's place and greeted him. The 600 Danites armed for battle stood at the entrance to the gate. The five men who had spied out the land went inside and took the carved image, the ephod and other household goods and the cast idol, while the priest and the 600 armed men stood at the entrance to the gate. When these men went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod and the other household gods and the cast idol, the priest said to them, what are you doing? They answered him, be quiet, don't say a word. Come with us and be our father and priest. Isn't it better you serve a tribe and clan in Israel as a priest rather than just one man's household? Then the priest was glad. He took the ephod, the other household gods, and the carved image and went along with the people, putting their little children, their livestock, and their possessions in front of them. They turned away and left. And Tim will be exploring this in a little more detail in just a few moments. But in the meantime, Carol is going to come and bring our prayers for the wider world. Thank you, Carol. Any churches fans here? Perhaps they're all at Soul Survivor, I don't know. Yeah, okay. Churches, a band. That was a track from their album, uh, Love is Dead, entitled Miracles. It also has tracks Heaven, Hell, God's Plan, really religious language. Band named like churches, they are emphatic, they are not remotely religious. Yet it's bizarre that the name of the band, the tracks that they use, it's all this kind of religious language that they're picking up and using to express their art. And they're not alone in that. Lady Gaga does it, Beyonce does that, Bruno Mars does it. It's like all these artists have found religious stuff lying around. They can pick that up and use that to express what we think and what we feel. And that's something like what's going on in this story of, of Micah and his mum. Because they, they use all the religious language, but they don't really understand it, and they don't really mean what they say. I mean, Micah behaves like a young teenager, nicking money out of his mother's drawer, a substantial sum of money. Overhears his mum pronouncing a curse on the money, thinks, oh, I better give it back. So he gives it back to her. The Lord bless you, my son, she says. And then she's got a problem because she's got all this money. She's put a curse on and she doesn't want it either. So what's she going to do with that? I'm going to dedicate it to the Lord, she says. I'm going to give it to my son so that he can make an idol out of it. And she doesn't quite give it all to him. 20% is what she gives. So that misguidedly, to honour God for giving the money back, they can make an idol that they will worship, which is what God has said you must never, ever do. And Micah adds it to his collection. He's got this collection of idols and images and stuff that he can go, and he's got a shrine, and he thinks, this is great. And this Levite comes along, and he says, well, you know, why don't you come and be my priest? And it's only then that you learn how old Micah actually is. He's not a teenager, because up until this point in time, he's been using one of his sons as a priest. So this is quite an old man behaving like a teenager, but there's a great deal of immaturity there. But the Levite comes, sets up at his priest, and Micah thinks, this is great. God is really going to bless me now because I've got this Levite as my priest. Actually, anything but that is the case. 
because these, these Danites come along and they take his Levite and his images and he's left with absolutely nothing. And he ends up being worse than he was at the beginning because at the end of the day, what people are, are living by is power and money. Those are the two things that are driving people, not really honour or respect for God at all. They use the language about God, but it doesn't really mean a great deal to them. What's going on here? I think this is folk religion. Folk religion is where people don't really know a great deal about the actual religion that they're supposed to be practising. There's a lot of ignorance. There's a lot of superstition. There's a lot of how can I manipulate what I believe about God to get my own way. And so they cannibalise whatever they can from different religions to make something that suits them. And that's what Micah and his mother are doing. We'll have a little bit of worship of the Lord, we'll use the language, but we'll have these old idols and these shrines, and we'll, we'll try and make sure that we're going to be all right, and we're going to use what we know of God, which isn't very much, to try and get him on our side. That's how folk religion works. It's never a legitimate expression of the actual religion. It's something that people have made up that suits themselves, that takes bits and pieces from here and there. People have always done this. You go back centuries and you find actually people have used the name of God, the name of Jesus, in precisely this kind of way. This is an amulet. This is, this is a kind of piece of paper made of papyrus and you can see that someone would fold it up and enough, small enough to put in your pocket. And uh, it's got writing on it and the writing is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, which is all about Jesus casting out demons and healing people. If you look on the left-hand side, you see there's a kind of shape of a cross there. And in the middle, there's, there's a picture which we presume is the picture of the person who it belongs to. And they use it as a kind of good luck charm. Going to fold this up, put it in my pocket, carry it around with me, and it'll keep me safe. It means that God's going to bless me. It means that things are going to be all right. I'm going to be okay. And this is folk religion. It's got nothing actually to do with genuine faith in Christ or commitment to Christ. It is using bits and pieces of religion as good luck charms. And the church didn't have much time for this kind of thing. A guy called uh, Athanasius said, Amulets, sorceries, are useless in securing help. If someone consulted these, let him know this distinctly, that he's made himself, instead of a believer, an unbeliever. Instead of a Christian, a pagan. Instead of an intelligent person, an unintelligent one. Instead of a rational person, an irrational one. And people use these things for all sorts of things. You get spells for, for kind of love potions, dealing with headless demons. There's a magical cookbook that people had. All this kind of stuff, bits and pieces of Christianity imported and used with superstition to try and make things right for them. You get a little bit of that today, I think. You have many people wearing crosses, for example, I think. Does that mean you're a Christian? don't think so, somehow, because I can't see any other evidence of kind of believing in Christ apart from the fact that they're wearing a cross. But lots of people wear a cross as a kind of fashion accessory. Whereas churches kind of use religious language to express themselves, people use a cross as a kind of bit of religious jewellery. And it will mean something very different to them to what that cross at the front of church here means to you. It's just something that they, 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 they like the look of, or it expresses something. It doesn't really express faith, but for some people it's kind of a good luck charm. If I have this, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to keep, keep me safe. You know some really bad drivers have kind of crosses in their cars on the basis that, you know, I'm not going to have an accident if I've got this in my car. I'm going to be okay. 
And it's a little bit of religion, a little bit of superstition, a little bit of fear, a little bit of trying to get God on your side. People sometimes use Bibles. I wonder whether people use Bibles in that kind of way. You know, the Bible is the best-selling book. Year after year after year, the Bible outsells every other book in the world. But a significant proportion of the Bibles that are sold are ones like these. Tiny, tiny little christening or presentation Bibles with the silver lettering and the gold leaf and the very, very fine pages and you open it up and you need a magnifying glass to read the print because it's so small and people have got these and it's in their house and it's okay because we've got a Bible and the baby's got a Bible but it's never opened and it's never read and it never actually does anything on that kind of basis. Years ago, I did a, sur- a, su- a survey for the Bible Society. How many people had a Bible in the house? A surprising number of people said, oh, yes, I've got one somewhere. Do you ever read it? Oh, no. No, but stashed away in a cupboard, on a shelf, in a forgotten corner, there is a Bible. What good does it do there, just being in the house? Absolutely nothing. But again, if you go back a long, long time, people used to think, if I've got a Bible in my house, I'm going to be Okay. It'll keep evil spirits out of the house. It means we're going to be all right. Again, it's using it as a kind of talisman or a good luck charm. And a guy called Chrysostom, about the same time as Athanasius, had a poor opinion of this. He said, the scriptures were given for us for this, that we might engrave them on our hearts. It's no good having a Bible so you can think, this, this will keep me safe, or having a Bible think, this looks very nice on my bookshelf, it's going to be very finely bound, it's going to be pretty. The point of a Bible is to read it and apply it to yourself. The Bible says, reading the Bible is a bit like looking into a mirror. I'm guessing, looking round, most of you looked in a mirror this morning, because you're all looking fairly presentable. But remember your reflection first thing, oh my word, my hair needs doing, I need a wash, I can't possibly go to church looking like that. And you looked in the mirror, and you sorted yourself out. Reading the Bible sometimes shows us what we're like. What kind of person am I? And if you read the story of Micah and the Levites, you just think, actually, yeah, there's a little bit of... Yeah, sometimes I can be a little bit superstitious. Sometimes I I think that, you know, God's going to look after me if I I just do this, or God's going to take care of me if I carry this cross with me or whatever. That's not how it works. And if you read something there, you think, ooh... Perhaps that's just a little bit like me. Recognize yourself in that story and think, God, that's not the kind of person that you call me to be. Or maybe sometimes you use all the religious religious language, but you don't really back it up with how you live. Again, you see yourself reflected there and think, oh, that's not as it should be. Reading the Bible is like seeing your reflection in a mirror. And like this morning, you saw yourself and thought, oh, I've got to change that. Sometimes you read the Bible and you think, oh, I've got to change that. And that's the time to come to God and say, actually, God, I'm not really trusting you. I'm not really honouring you. I'm not really doing what you say. Would you turn my fear into faith? And would you turn whatever superstition there is there into commitment? I give my life to you, and I want you to be Lord of who I am. That's what it's about. That's what the religion is about. It's not for us to pick up and use bits and pieces as we see fit. We honour God as the God who made us and is Lord of our lives. And we declare that he's the one in charge. That's what Christian commitment 
is really all about. Not wearing the cross, not having the Bible in your home. It's saying Jesus is Lord, living it out and meaning it. And the reason that makes a difference is that unlike the idols in Micah's house, God hears and answers our prayers and really makes a difference to who we are, how we live and what happens to us. God is real. When you pray, he answers. When you call on him, he's there. Never use God as some kind of good luck charm. Recognise that your life is in his hands and he calls you to honour him, however old or young you might be. So let's close by singing. When I call on your name, you answer. When I fall, you are there by my side. You delivered me out of darkness. Now I stand in the hope of new life. Let's stand and sing this together. Mm-hmm.